Hi, Wine Delusters, and today I'm speaking with Katie Clark from Untold Italy. Welcome to the Wine Delust podcast. My name's Janine and I run a wine events business in Canberra. But my real passion is travel and my bucket list is to travel to every wine region in the world. In this series, I'll be exploring some regional Aussie wine destinations. I'll give you some tips whether you're planning a romantic getaway, a girls weekend, or you're dragging the kids along. Pour yourself a glass and let's get exploring. Each season, I do a one-on-one interview with someone with a public profile. You may not know the name Katie Clark, but if you're planning a trip to Italy anytime soon, then you will definitely come across her work. Katie is the founder of Untold Italy. What started as a blog has grown to include travel resources, a very popular Facebook group, small group tours in Italy, and a very informative travel podcast, which is how I discovered her. I love exploring slightly off the beaten track, and Katie is all about sharing the highlights of Italy, but really loves sharing the lesser known places to encourage us all to detour a little off the main tourist route. Katie was so generous with her time, and she talks all about the Italian culture. She shares her recent revelation on an Italian wine variety, which may surprise you, as well as some intel on lesser known regions. This is such a wonderful chat, and I'm so pleased to welcome Katie Clark. So welcome, Katie, to the Wine Delust podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you with us today. I discovered you through your Untold Italy podcast, but this is just one little aspect. Can you tell us all about Untold Italy and everything that you offer? Yeah, sure. My name's Katie and I have a digital online research hub for people that are interested in all things Italian. Just to give you a little bit of a background, I was a former IT marketer and when I had my children... I decided that wasn't for me anymore. (laughs) So um, around that time, we moved to London for my husband's work. And then I really wanted to explore some different, more creative things. So I started doing some travel blogging. And eventually we did a lot of traveling while we were in London, as Australians do. (laughs) And uh, we uh, spent a lot of time in Italy because my husband's family is uh, from Italy. And he's still got some relatives there. So we were spending a lot of time there. And I really love Italy. I love everything about it. The food, the people, the wine, everything, the whole thing, how it comes together, the culture, the history. So I started focusing my writing efforts around Italy and then started a Facebook group, a community where uh, people come together to share their travel tips and ideas and inspiration. And it's grown quite large now. Yeah, it's over yeah. 80,000 members. Wow. And it's a, it's a fun place to be. We, everyone's welcome to join. It's called Italy Travel Planning, and we'd love to have everyone on board. And we also have a podcast, which I love doing. And the podcast sort of came after that community and it's absolute joy. I publish every week. And this year I'm really focusing on native Italian guests because there's a lot of people that talk about Italy that are expats or people like me that love Italy. But I think it's really important to share the voices of people that live in the different regions. And you know what? They're fascinating and they're so passionate about what they do. And I get so much amazing feedback from everyone about about my guests. All of these, and I've got websites with lots of information if people want to learn about travelling in Italy. Um, And everything is really thoroughly researched and things that I've experienced myself that I like to share because I think what you find with Italy is there's a lot of information online, but it gets a little bit repetitive, actually. And 
for me, it's raising up the profile of some of these smaller companies that offer amazing experiences is a real part of what I do as well. Got a sort of secret squirrel agenda with Untold Italy is to help people experience Italy beyond the main tourist destinations, Rome, Florence, Venice, Amalfi Coast and the lakes, etc., and Tuscany. So Italy is so much more than yeah. those destinations, which are absolutely incredible, don't get me wrong, and yeah. definitely people should see them for themselves. But if you just take a little, little detour, you're going to find just complete magic like the things that you well that many people dream of the small towns with the cobbled streets the cute little piazzas people that want to share their lives with you and their stories and the incredible stories with you so that's what we're doing on our group tours which are 100% food and wine focused as well so (laughs) yeah we're so I'm working together with my colleague Olivia and um, we're really obsessed with great food and wine and so we're taking people to these lesser known regions you know we want people to have like a really great fun time if people really want to get involved and really want to find out more about Italy and meet get a deeper connection with some of our guests and myself is the best way to do that is to we've got a paid membership which is um, called Untold Italy Amici that's a just a really fun place where we do a private podcast every month and share really deep secrets. Uh, my friend Julia, who lives in Emilia-Romagna, she has got some incredible connections to suppliers that work with Massimo Bottura at uh, Osteria Francescana, who was, she was one of the named one of the best restaurants in the world many wow. times over. Yeah, we went. We were so lucky to go to Casaficio, um, which is a dairy where they make the Parmigiano Reggiano for Massimo Bottura. And we went to the Batteria, which is and the Ashataya, where they make the balsamic vinegar di Modena for that restaurant as well. So it was, you know, this is top notch yeah. stuff. <laughs> this is around not far from Bologna area. Yeah, this is a little area like it's food heaven, (laughs) food and wine heaven. And And so how was your trip? Uh, We just came back and we were away for five or six weeks. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was uh, long overdue and it was an absolutely wonderful experience just heading all over Italy and just connecting with people that I've met via the podcast and really just delving into some of those regions that I loved and some of the regions that I hadn't been to before and just exploring Italy, the Italy that I love. Because you've been there several times, so there mustn't be too many <laughs> more regions left to explore. Or... I think I've got about so five that I haven't been to. Yeah, yeah gosh, it, this is where Australia is so different from other countries, especially in Europe, isn't it, where it's just so condensed and they've got so much culture in lots of little pockets and things compared to our wide open yeah. space here. Well, you can go from one, you know, part of Tuscany to another and you've got people speaking a different language almost and different, obviously different wines that they make, different food, different types of pasta and it's it's incredible. So they have, I mean, Italy's got 20 sort of administrative regions, but within that there's, you know, it's tiny, tiny little principalities and things that have been around for centuries. Yeah. So it's not, they're, they're very, they're hyper-local. There's, there's no better way to ex- explain it than that. They really treasure their own city, their own town, the culture, the people, the wine, and they are so proud. And these rivalries go back centuries. So it's not something 
that I guess in you know modern Australia that we're kind of used to um, mm. I'm sure maybe if we looked back at in our Indigenous culture they may have something similar yeah. and I always like to think of that actually because the way that Italians think about their land and their connection with the land is so mm. strong and I think that we have a lot to learn in modern Australia about the, our connection with the land and how it um, it's all symbiotic and how it works together and how it's connecting people to their communities too. You're right, that Indigenous history certainly has that. One of the things that's really interesting about um, visiting Italian wine regions is, is that it's, it is all about that intense local knowledge and respect for their environment and how it's changing and adapting to new conditions. So, you know, climate change is like a really big important yes. thing in winemaking in Italy because at the moment they're going through a drought which mm. actually might be quite good for some of the wine regions because they don't um, some of the areas don't need a lot of rain to produce amazing wine but it's it's a little bit scary for them as well and they're going to have to you know make some adjustments to what they do. In your experience do they use quite traditional methods still or have they um become quite modern with their what you've seen with winemaking or you know what I really love about Italians is their respect for the past and their respect for tradition and but also they're very it's a very modern country they've Mm. got you know like some of the most incredible design and industrial companies have come out of Italy and the magic happens when these two things meld together and you've got that tradition and then you've got the innovation on top of that. So you can see some really exciting things happening with some of the younger winemakers and some of the regions that you might not expect um, or know too much about. And then one of the things that I wanted to mention that is that was something that was like a massive revelation to me was I started getting into Lambrusco. In a big way when we I'm were I'm so excited to hear this because it's got such a bad <laughs> reputation in Australia from the 80s and everything. So um, please tell us more. Yeah. That sounds great. Well, let me tell you, I, I've had my Lambrusco experiences when I was a teenager. Was it wasn't pretty? <laughs> and so I, I think we just have this image of this wine as it's really gross and but it's so amazing. And it's actually one of the most popular wines in Italy. And I learned what went wrong. This is a really light wine. It's got a light frizzante or fizz to it. I think what happened was it was overproduced. They were victims of their own success. There was a marketing campaign, Lambrusco this, Lambrusco that. They started producing it in glass and not paying attention to the quality of the wine that was being made. The thing is it's a very young wine and it's not for cellaring. It's got to be drunk really quickly mm. once it's made. So you can imagine they're making all this wine and then they're like, oh, how do we get rid of it? Hmm, maybe we should ship it to Australia. <laughs> Six months on the boat or however yes. long it took, yes. you know, and by the time it got to the shelves and everything, it's, it was never supposed to be drunk in that way. What I found when I was in Emilia-Romagna is that this is an amazing light, refreshing wine that goes absolutely perfectly with the dishes that they make there, which is very rich in flavour and fat content because um, you're talking uh, mortadella, um, prosciutto di parma, and all of these really, um, parmigiana reggiano, all these really rich flavours. And so what it does is it balances, it works with the food, and it just is just this really amazing flavour bomb in your mouth, and you're like, oh, that's so good. I get it now. Yes, <laughs> I yes. I get the Lambrusco. Yes. <laughs> because that's what Italian, Italian wine is meant to be drunk with food. 
there's very few contemplative wines you know like people don't just have a glass of wine they have they sit down for dinner or lunch with a glass of wine and so it's meant to be consumed with food and so everything is balanced that's why you should always try local wine and even the house wine is always really good and you can always just try it if you like so I, I really would always just default to that situation if you're in a restaurant because that's what they make it for they make it to match with their cheese they make it to match with their cured meats and their pasta dishes and it works and that sounds great because I understand that Italy has all these regions and every region has their own wine and they've got their own sort of specialized dishes so they would complement each other so that Mm. sounds like a fabulous way to travel Italy is try the local dishes with the local wines wherever you are yeah I've got to say it's pretty tough to do that (laughs) (laughs) There's a winemaker in Umbria and they've got some really cool uh, ways of using amphorae, which are the yes. old Clay terracotta pots. pots. Yes. Yeah, so they, they age their wines in amphorae. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> They were yeah. doing that 2,000 years ago. So it's all, it's all cyclical and it's all coming back. And Umbria, like, so underrated. And let me tell you, it's an amazing, amazing region that there's no one there we were there in the middle of June which everywhere else in Italy is absolutely packed and it's so quiet and it's so lovely did you go to the flower festival spelling no I didn't but my colleague Olivia did and she had an incredible time she just loved it every second of it and here again is this community and this sense of community so um, for people that don't know about the flower festival in Spello, it's the Infiorata, and uh, it celebrates the festival of Corpus Christi each year. So what the villagers do is they go around and they collect flowers and the petals of the flowers, and they make these incredible artworks and carpets of artwork across the whole town. There's a ceremony where basically it gets all trampled on and destroyed. <laughs> but prior to that, it's this gorgeous display of stunning floral designs that the whole communities come together to work towards and um, not only you know go and collect all the flowers and everything but also do the design and everyone's involved from little kids up to adults and nonnas and yeah it's brilliant and this is this is the sense of community that I think really attracts people to Italy and yeah it's amazing and of course there's feasting afterwards yeah great why not so if anyone's interested, we've also got a tour going there. We do have a morning in Spello for the Infiorata. So if anyone would like to experience that for themselves, we'll be doing that and getting up early because you have to be up, I think it's 6 o'clock in the morning to catch everything before it, all the flowers get trampled on. But um, oh, fantastic. yeah, everyone needs to go to Sicily and you need to spend at least at least two weeks there. It's just this chaotic mixture of, Wine, food, people, colour, sea. It's its just so rich in local history and culture. Yeah. Stop for lunch in Matsumemi and just soak up those local seaside vibes. Go to Ortigia, which is like the most incredible place I've ever been to. I love it. It's Why? just got, I don't know, it's like it's a vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's um, you get there and you, it's the old town of Syracuse. So you go across this little um causeway into the old town, and it's just this crazy mix of ancient Greek ruins, Roman ruins, 
medieval streets where the washings hung over there's scooters zipping this way and that way the market's going crazy with the fish vendors and they're you know shouting each other at the fruit vendors across the way (laughs) and it's just crazy and then you walk through these streets and then you walk into this incredible baroque piazza which and with the duomo and and it's just elegant and marble and there's people hanging out there's kids playing football and then you walk a little bit further and you've got the sea in front of you. So it's wow. like, it's just a bit of magic. Sicily is great. And then the, the, what I think is Sicily, chilled out Sicily, a version of Sicily is Puglia, which again, you've got the coast, mm. you've got the food, you've got the wine, but everything's a little bit more piano, piano, a bit slower, you know, people are a bit more chilled out. They're not, tourism hasn't really hit Puglia in a really? big way. It's still fairly relaxed in that respect and it can be a little bit frustrating but don't worry everything is fabulous like the really chilled out gorgeous baroque city of Lecce cute little town the monopoly on the water where the whole place comes to life at night time and there's like fairy lights strung up everywhere tiny little piazzas everyone's just mingling having aperitivo having this doing this doing that and just eating their beautiful fish dinner washed down with a local wine I mean it's just sensational and they've got the really unusual little houses there the truly houses yeah so they're actually uh like yeah it's iconic for the area and you can actually stay in them some of them can be a little bit rusty, but, <laughs> but um, they do look absolutely gorgeous dotted throughout there. So you just see these truly houses. They're quite, they've got a conical roof and they're mm. painted white and they've got a stone conical roof and they sort of they sort of intermingle between the olive trees and the vineyards and it's just you sit there and you go, stop it, please. <laughs> this is too cute. <laughs> That sounds awesome. And I think, is that the, the latest James Bond movie started off at that town? Oh, I think Pulia, that's the, in Matera. Um, yes. Is that, is that down that uh, way? Or, okay. Yes, it's in, but that's in the region called Basilicata, which is just a little pocket in between Puglia and Abruzzo. And, yeah, that's an amazing, amazing city which everyone should visit because it's, uh, yeah, it's it's known for movies. It's been in Star Wars. It's been in James Bond. But it's it's got an incredible history. It's built into a ravine and mm. it's it was basically known as the shame of Italy. So it was very poor and there was people that were living in, like, dwellings which are caves which is what the city is is known for and they're called sassy and so these sassy caves are oh, they're the oldest so some of the oldest dwellings in europe they're like thousands of years old it's, oh. and materia is one of the most oldest inhabited cities in the world but what happened in the early 20th centuries it became like a real like a really sad place and it was a lot of poor people there so the community, again, you're hearing this word community, has got together and with the help of the local government and the Italian government raised this city up and it was the European capital of culture a few years ago and it's now UNESCO listed and it's an absolutely stunning place wow. and particularly at night time. So a lot of people go there on a day trip, got to hang around at yeah. night time to see it all lit up and just looking absolutely beautiful. I think that's a secret with a lot of those little towns, isn't it? It's spending a night there because people come for the day and then they leave again. I think there's probably examples of that all over Italy and Europe full stop. But, yeah, I'm a big yeah. fan of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like if you can, we always say you should spend at least two to three days wherever you go because by the time you figure out what you're doing, 
and <laughs> where you're going, yeah, yeah, where you are, all yep. of those things. Uh, you know, even in the smaller towns, like you can easily make a little mistake and you're going to miss something incredible. So you need to sort of invest a little bit of time to make a base and explore from there. And I, I think a really good example was we were in Tuscany a couple of weeks ago and mm. we stayed in this ugly turismo. Everyone should do when they're in Italy. Everyone must stay in an ugly turismo, which is a farm stay. Sounds a bit rustic. No, 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 no. <laughs> it can be quite luxurious. So the one we stayed in had a pool overlooking San Gimignano. Oh, that sounds amazing, yeah, because that nice. town keeps popping up as a place to visit. Yeah, that sounds gorgeous. Yeah, oh, and that's definitely on the tourist route, um, San Gimignano. Yeah, right. But if you go to San Gimignano during the day, it's full of buses and people, but you go there at night time. Covered heaps about Italy, which is really wonderful. If we wind it back to Australia a bit, have you got a favourite region in Australia? Which wines that you like or which regions you like to visit? Yeah, well, being in Melbourne and being surrounded by so many amazing wine regions, the one the one that really holds my heart is the Yarra Valley, and that's because we've got some really strong family connections there, and I've got a really good mate who runs wine tours and oh, out there too, and uh, I've known her since I was um, a little child, and I spent a lot of time out there. My aunt ran a guest house for many years out there, and so I was always growing up around the Arrow Valley, and so that's that's my favourite, and, you know, in the 2009 bushfires they had a really mm. it was awful and I mean yeah. there was so much destruction of the vines and just the, and the produce with damaged by smoke so there's some Italian style producers that I really love I, sorry everyone I just I do default to Italy and Italian things <laughs> that's okay <laughs> um, but I mean I loved going to De Bortoli the restaurant there is absolutely incredible I've, I've been there many many times and I just love the atmosphere there and of course I love their noble one sticky wine <laughs> yeah so lovely. good like <laughs> Every time you give it to, you know, get someone from overseas to try it, they're like, I want 10 bottles of that. Yes, <laughs> and with blue now. cheese or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so good. Um, but the thing about De Bordelie, and it's a bit emotional, is that um, they um, sort of sheltered a lot of people in the bushfires. And we actually had family friends that watched their property burn from the, the car park there. And um, so I have a real soft spot for them because mm. they really, um, they're part of the community there. Again, community. Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. that's an Italian thing. But, I mean, I do try, I do tend to sort of more gravitate towards smaller wineries generally. And um, there's one really great one out there called um, Stefani Estate. And uh, that's a family uh, run winery. And the winemaker there is from Tuscany. And he's actually propagated some of his vines from the vineyard, family vineyard in Tuscany and has brought them over to the Yarra Valley. So. Fantastic. that's pretty cool the Yarra Valley holds my heart but there, I did want to sneak mm. in another mention which was for an amazing wine making family that are in Heathcote and that's called Vinnie Marson and they're taking some of the maybe lesser known Italian varieties from the northeast of Italy in Friuli and yeah. um, blending them to make some really delicious wines and they're in Heathcote but what I love about them is and what's really special is that they do their wine tasting experience how they do it in Italy. Now, when you go to Italy and you book your wine tours in, what you're going to find is <laughs> everything's coming with food. Like I said, so you know we're matching the wines with food, and we're making sure we're not just yeah. tasting wine; we're, we're tasting it with food. So it's actually it's not unusual, but it's more it's not yes. as common to just yeah. taste wine 
you're basically going to be tasting wine plus food that they've made from their farm or, you know, around the, the neighbourhood or their community there. So that's what they do at Vinia Marzen is they do this whole tasting experience. That sounds so good. Is, it's really important to know that uh, when you're going to Italy is that you're not going to be dashing around four wineries in a day. It's just not really how you do things there. So you need to make an appointment yes. generally, especially if you're going in the harvest season in October, September, October, you need to make a booking because you can't just rock up and go, hey, I'm here for the tasting. Right. <laughs> uh, that was a question I was going to ask, actually. That's good to know. Well, you can for some of the bigger ones. So like Antonori, which is in Chianti, you can do that. Now, actually, Montepulciano is a good one to know because they do have cantinas, which are the like wine tasting rooms inside the town. So you can actually go into the town and taste wine there, even a group tour, because then they can drive you around. You don't have to worry about tasting the wine. And do you have any suggestions of how to find those sorts of group tours? Like My friend Ariana at KM Zero Tours in Tuscany, she's, I mean, she just took us to this gorgeous place in in Chianti, um, Il Bacio, the kiss. And just, I mean, you're just like pinching yourself. This is like Um, vines for miles and like flowers and this cute little table set up for us. It was gorgeous. Oh, that sounds so awesome. It's wonderful. But the smaller ones, you really need to make a booking in advance and you can do that by uh, usually some of them might have a web form. If you're lucky, (laughs) probably an email address or even a phone number. And if you find a phone number or a mobile number, Italians love WhatsApp. WhatsApp is the best way to contact people in Italy. Just, oh, that's good to know. Yeah, that's yeah, great. So you just WhatsApp people. So they're probably going to offer you some sort of degustazione, which is like the tasting of the wine with food as well. So, And you know what? It's the best. It sounds you know wonderful. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds wonderful. Seriously, what it could be better. And they're so generous, like, and they'll sit down and talk to you and explain what they're doing. It's all pretty relaxed. And, you know, they'll probably have set up this beautiful table with a view and you're like, oh, I'll just stay here. Thanks. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> like I, I don't need to leave. So wonderful, Katie. That was just excellent. I love shining a light on the smaller areas and that as well. Oh, so. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. You will never regret it, honestly, going to Italy or even like in Australia to just seek out these smaller places where it's family run and to hear their stories and to understand what they're motivating them to make their wine and their passion behind it. So every time that we do that, we've had a special experience that is stuck in my mind that I remember forever. And yeah, I hope everyone can have that same experience too. I really enjoyed my chat with Katie. I have found out about that Spello Flower Festival through listening to her podcast, so I was very excited to hear a bit more about it speaking with her. Hopefully you've picked up some new ideas if you're planning a trip to Italy too. And if you're heading around Melbourne, then check out her suggestions in the Yarra Valley and Heathcote. So all the suggestions that Katie mentioned are on the website in the show notes. And that wraps up this season of the Wine Delust podcast. Subscribe so you'll be first to get the new season when it drops. And the new season's a little bit different. I'm collaborating with the Australian Capital Territory Office for Women on a series about women in the wine and hospitality industry. We're going to meet women in all aspects of the industries, of course, including winemaking, but there's so many other jobs available that you might not know about. So keep an ear out for that one. And until next time, happy wine travels. For everything discussed today, check out 
the Wine Delast website. And if you're interested in trying some of the wines, we have some events coming up too. And subscribe to my newsletter to find out what else is happening.